Hello and welcome to Plot Trists. This is Lane. This is Meg. And today we're reviewing Midnight Duet by Jen Comfort. This came out in 2023 and um, is a standalone romance. Uh, and full disclosure, we did receive a complimentary advanced reader copy from the publisher. In recent memory, this is one of the new authors I think we've been most excited to talk about. Not mm -hmm. to give anything away, but I think both Meg and I were really blown away by the concept and execution here. Yep. Before we dive into the book, uh, we're trying to get better at doing this. Just to let you know, we do have merch available at our website, and we are planning an event with several authors. If you check our website at linktree, that's L-I-N-K-T-R dot E-E slash plotrists, you will find all the links to all that information there. Instagram is probably easier, though. You can go to Instagram, too. <laughs> <laughs> okay, book jacket? Yes. Self-professed diva Erica Green has it all. A starring role on Broadway, legions of fans, spectacular natural talent. But after an accident on stage leaves her face scarred and her career in shambles, Erica retreats to Paris, Nevada, where she's inherited a ramshackle opera house in desperate need of some TLC. Erica pours her savings into the building, but it's not enough to stave off casino developer Raoul de Comte's avaricious gaze. With foreclosure imminent, she leases the space to some unexpected tenants, a German hair metal band fronted by glam rock god Christoph Day. Erica is tempted by Christoph's low-slung leather pants, and even more so by his ambitious drive to make Nachtmusik international superstars. But he's off-limits. The rest of his band thinks he's still dating their beloved keyboardist, who is conveniently not present on this jaunt to the American Southwest. When Erica finds out Kristoff's been unceremoniously dumped and is trying to keep it under wraps, she makes a deal to keep his secret. For a price, of course. Kristoff is desperate to hold the rest of the band together after his keyboardist's departure, but he can't maintain the charade forever. Nor can he resist the opera house's mysterious proprietor, who tempts him with midnight singing lessons. It isn't long before sensuous nighttime interludes turn into smoldering backstage encounters. But can their newly ignited passion survive the searing light of day? Or will their beautiful duet turn into a broken-hearted power ballad for one? Okay, do you... Do you have anything you want to talk about the jacket about? No, I think it should be obvious from the jacket. It is a Phantom of the Opera retelling. It should be obvious from the way we read it that Lane has never, ever heard of it because it's not Christoph Day, it's Christoph Daae. All right, so Christoph Daae. Um, yeah, so I think I would have got that this was Phantom of the Opera because, like, I don't live under a rock. Yes, I've seen the fan the Phantom of the Opera Emmy Rossum movie trailer. Like, obviously, I know the shit in the zeitgeist. Um, <laughs> I love how you're like, look, I saw the trailer, okay? I saw the trailer. Um, I've seen the mask. So they make it really obvious that she is injured on Broadway. Um, 
she's got a mask now covering half of her face. And there's a part in the car that bl- with a car that is a phantom car that bludgeons yeah. you over the head. So I think even I would have gotten it, but I will never know because Meg did tell me and get really excited about the fact that this was the Phantom of the Opera retelling before I touched it. Should we do our random numbers and then talk about our history with the Phantom? Or maybe I should just talk about my history now because you just talked about yours, which is, you know, it exists. Yeah, I I am not culturally broken. (laughs) Are you implying that I'm broken? No, I'm saying if I had at least heard of it, I would be. Okay, okay, I get it. Um, so my, my history with Phantom is that when I was in middle school, my cousin who lived with us, we actually shared a room. We were like sisters. She gave me this book called Phantom by Susan K, which was, I actually considered putting it on the schedule because this book is wild. It's, It's told from Eric's perspective from when he was born, um, and like grows up all the way through the events of phantom of the opera and this book like i thought was the best book of all time it was amazing i loved it as soon as i finished that book we got the boxed set cd of phantom of the opera and we listened to it over and over all the time there are two cds for the musical and we would actually listen to them like back to back uh we went to see phantom of the opera and we also read the original in translation, which for middle schoolers was like pretty intense. So there you go. So yeah. Abridged I read- or not abridged? Oh, unabridged. Oh my God. <laughs> oh yeah. Like we were, we were into it, Lane. So when I read this book jacket, I was like, at first I was like, okay, Broadway, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, wait. Christophe Daae, Raoul de Cotte. I was like, no, is this really? Is this really a gender swap fan of the opera? And of course, I am. Oh, yeah, it's a gender swap retelling, in case that wasn't clear. Yes. So, but isn't her name yeah. Christine in Phantom of the Opera? Yes, Christine, Christophe. So Christine Daae? Correct. And the Phantom's name is Eric. I knew that. And Christine falls in love with Raoul. Raoul uh, Chagny is his actual last name. But he is a, a vicomte, a, a viscount. Okay. And I don't want to get into this. We will, I'm sure, get into it more. <laughs> no, my understanding, like from everyone I know who loves Phantom, like Raoul was actually the one she should be with, and the Phantom was an overdramatic baby. I have a lot of thoughts about it because you can actually read it. It's very interesting because the way you can read Phantom, you can read it many different ways, which obviously is why it has lasted for, you know, over a hundred years at this point, being as popular as it is. So. Okay. No, just as a theater kid, I did know a lot of people who loved Phantom and had a lot of opinions about it. And I think the people I was exposed to were very anti-Phantom. You can be, look, you can be pro-Phantom, you can be anti-Phantom. I was very pro Eric. Okay. I shipped Eric and Christine. Now that I'm a little older, I think he probably was, you know, kind of abusive. Oh. <laughs> that <laughs> said, Ra- perspective on life. Yeah. That said, Raul was also like super bland. 
So I probably, if I were Chris, if I were Christine's best friend, Meg, <laughs> then I would probably advise her not to go with either of them and just to like be an opera star. Choose you, baby. Choose yes. you. That said, I do ship Erica and Kristoff for sure. Oh yeah, Raul's not a viable romantic prospect here. For anyone? No. Okay, random number? 33. Yeah, so I'll, I'll start. Erica lures Kristoff to the Paris Nevada Opera with promises of artistic development a special song on the organ and a few singing lessons later. And she's got him in her basement lair. Does the phantom have a basement lair at the Paris opera house in the book? Cause I've seen like the, the, the movie shots from the catacombs. And I didn't know if that was like the basement or if that was like a different place. Yeah. Yeah. It's the, the underbelly of the opera. There is okay. actually a lake underneath the Paris opera house, the Palais Garnier. There's a lake under there. And okay. so that's, that's the whole thing. It's like, it's not the catacombs. He actually has like a lakeside underground villa. I assume there's not a villa on said lake though. No, there's not. But they did find, I did, I was, I was looking it up because I thought it was interesting. They did find, um, there was all this food that the, the communal, you know, the commune of Paris had hidden yeah. down there like rations. And of the, actually, I wasn't doing research. I was reading an annotated Phantom of the Opera book. <laughs> <laughs> research for this episode. Yes, research <laughs> for this episode. And it said that like they found all this food and it was like all the salt ham, this and this. And then it was like over a hundred liters of wine. Was it still drinkable? I mean, probably. That's but okay. then when they found it, they found it like, in the 1920s. All right, Lane, what's your 33 word summary? Oh my God. <laughs> Some girls get all the luck, like having their faces ruined in an accident, inheriting a crumbling theater slash brothel, and having a rock star refusing to formally dump his girlfriend so you can fuck. Yeah. And by luck, you mean bad luck? Uh, that all worked out great for her. Literally all three parts of it worked out great for her. In the end, it's true. I stand by everything I've said. Lucky son of you're, a bitch. You're not wrong. Uh, okay. Are there tropes in this book that we want to point out? Other than, this is not a trope, but I mean, just accept this is a gender-swapped retelling a fan of the opera. Yeah. I think she is the entitled performer socialite brought down to mm -hmm. a low point. Mm -hmm. um, he's obviously kind of in rebound mode, realizing right. that the relationship he's been in for 10 years is not functional. It's a little bit workplace romance. Like she is the proprietor of where they're renting from. Mm -hmm. um, and clearly like there is some degree of professional distance. Right. And I mean, there are sexy lessons. They aren't sex lessons, but they are lessons. Right. So there's the sexy lessons. There's the. the I, I don't know how to phrase this, but I know it's a trope. Like she's getting offered to buy out the place she loves. Yes. And it's a place that he is benefiting from. Yes. Yes. It's the, the offer you can't refuse that you have to refuse. Um, she leaves behind her panties at one point, which is absolutely a trope. I loved it. 
I think there are a lot, but I think the thing, it was, like Meg said, it's Phantom of the Opera, which is tropetacular to begin yes. with. So it's difficult. I, I think any real talk of tropes would get very boring because it's yeah, just yeah, talking yeah. about Phantom of the Opera, yeah. which you either have the context for or you don't. Yeah. All right. Let's 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 talk about this book because it, we did come at it from different places. Lane made the decision not to consume any Phantom of the Opera, anything before reading the book because she wanted to come at it from the perspective of someone who knew it was a gender swap retelling, but, you know, would it work as someone who doesn't engage with that, right? Yes, I made that deliberate choice. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I, as soon as you read this book, I was like, I love it. It's like, I love everything about this book. Like, everything about this book. I loved the dedication. She dedicates it. It's a long dedication, but among other things, she dedicates it to the more is more crowd. I didn't read the dedication, but I feel that to my very bones. Yes, she dedicates it to the theater kids, you know, the the unapologetic divas, right? And I think that she embraces that entire aesthetic, the entire like over the top aesthetic and just really pulls it off. Without, I'm sure we'll talk about the specifics throughout the episode, so I won't dwell on it here. But in short, does this book work for someone who is not a Phantom fangirl? Yes. <laughs> yes. So, okay, I, for example, the book starts with the line, you know, they say you should never do prologues. And then the entire first chapter is not called a prologue, but it is a prologue. It is. I also loved, I may not know Phantom, but I know Les Mis. Yes. And I know Macbeth. And I, like, this is a Phantom of the Opera gender-swapped retelling, but this is a love letter to theatrical performance in general. And it was so obvious. And I think this is kind of unrelated, but one of the things my friends and I talk a lot about with movies now that are trying to reinvent the wheel on the rom-com or the musical is for me, those work much better when it's clear that the director or the producer are trying to pay homage and not trying to correct what they viewed as a failing. Yes. It is extremely clear that Jen Comfort loves these musicals. And I think that is 100% the reason this all worked. Yes. She is coming at it from a place of, I might be modernizing it, but it is coming from a place of adoration, not at all like mockery. And I think she wasn't trying to fix anything. And that really made this wonderful. Yes. So there are a, a million and a half phantom references crammed into this book. It's a short book. <laughs> I mean, it's not it's not short, but it's not long. So not a long book. And I don't think a page goes by without some kind of phantom reference. Was there ever a time that you felt that you were like missing something? Not in a way that was distracting at all. Okay. And I do think I was a little bit colored reading for like, do I think this could be a phantom reference? Knowing how much it resonated with you as a phantom retelling. Um, So there were a couple of moments where I was like, I think there's something under the surface here that I'm not picking up on, but Mm -hmm. the surface text worked without that context. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's it's interesting because for me, when I was reading it, like I was enjoying the surface text, but then every time I would get a reference, I would just like giggle internally. Right. Like every time I just read the name Christoph Daae, I was like, <laughs> you know, was Christoph I, Christoph was a really interesting character. He is obviously this rock star who's really interested in the concept of fame, but he's also fundamentally this really like practical, scared, responsible person. Yep. Is that true to Christine's character or was that an invention of the modern? Yeah, I think what you have to understand about Phantom, right? Like Phantom of the Opera as a book or as a piece of media is that it's it's not a character study at all. It's like a thriller almost. Like these things happen and it's like scary. And so there's like, Christine is the ingenue singer. Right. Joel is the rich dude. Eric is the terrible guy who wants to corrupt her. But they don't have like a deep character. So I would say Erica and Christoph both get more character development than Eric or, or Christine. Interesting. Okay, so that is... One of those things that I was like, I wonder if I'm missing something here. I wondered if any of their characterization had been pulled from the text more than just their archetype. No, no. I I would say this is something that works for me really well. And we talked about it with the Dark Olympus series, which is that when it tries to be a one-to-one retelling and there's a lot of like plot that's tied to it, it's it's harder for me to get invested and to really enjoy it. I think this Mm -hmm. is what you were talking about, how, you know, there are rom-coms who want to reinvent it or whatever. Right. And instead what they did was they took the archetype and made a new story about it, but let you know that they still love all this, this stuff, which is maybe why this works for me really well. And uh, Wicked Beauty worked as the best of the Dark Olympus series for me so far. Because it didn't have this myth that it was drawing on one-to-one. Right. Right. And there wasn't a one-to-one thing here. Like, there were things that happened. Like, Eric gives Christine lessons, for example. Right? Like, right. he's he's teaching her how to sing, and that's why, he, that's why Christine becomes this opera star, basically, is because she's getting lessons from who she refers to as the angel of music. Right. And that happens in this book, but... They're already famous to a point, right? Right. Um, Christoph's band is already at a certain point. It's not all because he meets this Svengali kind of figure. Right. I will say I box number five is one of those things that I knew was a reference. Mm-hmm. Had no idea why. It was really, <laughs> it was clearly shoehorned, not in a bad way, but it was clearly like she told this person they'd be saving a box and then... Raul wanted box five or whatever. And I like expected it to have like have more of a bearing on the text. And when it yeah. didn't, I was like, oh, that's just a phantom reference I missed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was, it was again, every time she was because she watches, she watches Christoph. Christoph comes to like practice his guitar at night on stage and she watches him from box number five, which I thought was, I mean, that's box number five is the phantom's box lane. Box number five must be left empty at all times. If someone sits in box number five, bad things happen. Okay. Why why does Raul want it? Well, because when people, people are like, no, I have to sit in box five, then bad things happen. Okay. So it's a little bit of, what's the word? It's not foreshadowing, but it's like. It's an homage. 
Yeah, well, yes, it's an homage, but you like once you were like, uh oh, someone else is going to be in box five, then you knew something bad was going to happen. I think that is foreshadowing, Mick. <laughs> <laughs> then it is foreshadowing. Whatever. Yeah. Anyway, um, yeah, so I was really into it. I was really into enjoying all the little references. Like the name of his band is Knocked Music, Night Music. Yeah. Which is like the hit single of Phantom of the Opera, the music oh. of the night. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so just like all these little things build up. Um, and that's what I think works really well. So, yeah. Like I said, it never, what I was missing never distracted me. Perfect. Which I think is honestly something I'm, when I complain about, reading later in a series before I've read the earlier books, what I'm complaining about is the fact that I am distracted by what I am clearly missing, by how obviously allusions to previous books are getting made, by how clearly they're building on context. And I'm not saying that's a bad thing. You write a series for a reason. You're supposed to be able to rely on the like text of the previous books. But I think it's a real tell that Phantom of the Opera is so famous, and Meg, as a Phantom fangirl, got so much out of this. But I never went, okay, I have to stop reading this and go read Phantom. Because if anyone was gonna, it would have been me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's why I was like, hey, you want to watch Phantom of the Opera before you read it? <laughs> nope. Uh, so let's talk about Kristoff. I think he was a really great romantic lead. He was, I will say... I could not stop picturing the rum tum tugger from cats, <laughs> specifically the PBS special every time he was described. And um, for reasons I will not go into on this podcast, I have extreme PTSD when it comes to cats and you're laughing saying that's an overreaction. I promise you it's not. It involves 9-11. <laughs> um, but I just, everything about the way he was described was not sexy to me until he took his clothes off. Yeah. But I mean, I think that that's what I also really like is that she lets him be this ridiculous figure. Jen Comfort, I mean. Uh, so she describes him at various points as a pirate from a romance novel cover, <laughs> which I loved, of course. And she's like, so he was wearing this shirt and it was, he, there was one button buttoned all the way down at the very bottom next to his fly, right? And then he was wearing this distressed denim. <laughs> his hair, he has long hair that's bleach blonde. And he's constantly borrowing her makeup. Yep. And the other thing, I mean, you mentioned this. The other thing that I think is really interesting about him, not just his looks or his persona, which, you know, someone can dress like this and maybe not be sexy at first. But if you own that persona, I do think that that confidence makes someone sexy. Absolutely. Being really good at something is the sexiest thing that can possibly exist. Right. And he's good at it and he knows that he's good at it. And so... Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I I probably would have been interested to get to know Kristoff. I'll just say it. But um, the other thing that I really liked about it is that she allowed him to be both this, like, arrogant, like, I'm the best at this, you know, persona, and yet at the same time have these, like, very, I think, very well-written anxiety like feelings of anxiety and like worry that he's trying to keep within himself I agree with that entirely I also thought Jen Comfort did a really good job describing that keyboardist girlfriend yes 
I think without it ever seeming out of place or like your narrator knew too much, mm-hmm. you understood how much Kristoff's perception of her differed from her reality mm-hmm. in a way that added a very deft touch to the whole book. Yep. One of the parts that I loved that's very early in Kristoff's characterization is he does yoga every morning. He does it not because he really likes yoga, but because some guy in another hair metal band was like, dude, you should like really limber up, do some yoga. Cause otherwise, you know, you're, you're, it's hard to like travel in a tour bus and you should limber up. Well, you got to start training for 35 at 25. Cause if you start at 35, it's too late. Yes. And I loved that he, so he's doing it cause he like feels like he has to, he's got five meditation apps on his phone. Like he knows that he needs to like chill but it says like and I relate to this so much he's like my favorite part of yoga is the relaxation part at the end and I'm like why I like that's this many people's favorite part (laughs) that's my favorite part for sure and then he goes it's not because he actually relaxes or clears his mind it's because it gives him some time to just think work on song lyrics (laughs) no I, I think a lot of very type a people resonate with the like making meditation or yoga or those like introspective moments, like productive (laughs) in a way that completely undermines the point of them. And this is me pointing out my own flaws. And then, then he starts, then he starts fantasizing about Erica while he's like, in his, you know, five minutes of relaxation. And he's like, oh, maybe I could check off. And I was like, yes, this is exactly what that should be used for in yoga. Yep. I thought, uh, that's the thing too. This book is really funny. Yes. I thought it was so funny. And always very deliberately. Yes. Yes. Not on the characters parts, but on Jen Comfort's part. Oh, absolutely. Um, do you want to talk about Erica? Yeah. I hated her (laughs) and I was very nervous to the point, like I texted Meg. I was like, I know someone is a fucking dick bag if they call it a gin martini. <laughs> and I was so frustrated. And Meg was like, no, that's how you're supposed to feel. And I was like, oh my God, that makes me so happy that this thing that like, especially in like the New York Broadway scene is this like really obnoxious character trait. Mm-hmm. Not for the record, ordering a gin martini. Like a martini with gin is fine. It's not called a gin martini. <laughs> I'm the obnoxious one now, but I just, I hated her. I hated how casual she was about cheating on people, how emotionally manipulative it she was, how like unaware of her own privilege she was. And she never stopped being obnoxious, but I started rooting for her. Yes. She never stops being obnoxious, but she becomes aware of being obnoxious. Right. And I think the other thing, I was actually talking to someone else about this book today because they were like, I hate it when anti-heroes or anti-heroines get to change and like be a good person at the end. And I don't think she necessarily changed and became like a good person. I think she became a better person to herself. Interesting. One of the things that I really finished this book with um, was wondering whether Erica's transformation was sincere. Mm-hmm. 
because she sort of thinks this is all curse-based. Mm-hmm. And then she learns it is absolutely not. Mm-hmm. Which obviously it wasn't. But And she kind of realizes that, and she's like, I've behind, been hiding behind that excuse. But her desire to start becoming a better person was in some ways not actually altruistic. It was like, oh, I need to become a better person, so maybe the curse will let up. Yeah. And I know that's ridiculous, but that's what I'm going to sort of try. Well, I think that's what that's what started her on No, this that's road. what I'm saying. It started her. Yes. And I do think she evolved beyond it. And I thought it was, but I, I did come away with like, I don't know that I believe she's the kind of person where if things get hard again, she won't lash out, be a dick and potentially do something unforgivable. It's a really interesting thing to have a happily ever after between two characters where like, I fundamentally don't trust one of them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I know. I still loved it though. Me too. That I, That's actually not a criticism. Like I bought into the happily ever after in the context in which it was presented, but I didn't necessarily believe Erica was transformed enough to never really fuck up again. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the book ends in this moment of triumph, but you, I mean, you don't know what the critics are going to say the next day. Yep. Which I think is a very interesting place to end the book. I also thought it was interesting. The, the epilogue, I, there's two things I didn't like about this book, and the epilogue was actually one of them. Like, just because she's become a good person and realized this girl she used to sit next to, like, was nice and sincere, does not suddenly mean she was talented. <laughs> right. And that's what Erica would, like, that Erica would give up all sense. Yeah. In the name of being more compassionate, I thought like it just, it was over the top. Yes. And that could have been fun, but I wish the title had been tweaked. Like I wish Erica had contributed to it actually becoming something that wasn't off the cuff a mockery. Mm-hmm. Like I, I, to me, it read as Erica taking sincerity a little too far. Okay. What's the other thing you didn't like about this? Cause I have one thing I didn't like about this. We'll get to it in sexiness. One. Okay. We, what I was the other thing so- you didn't like? I, well, I can wait until then, too. Was it also sexiness? Yeah, I mean, it has something to do with it. Okay. All right. Is there anything we want to talk about? I mean, the, the plot of this book is not Phantom of the Opera. The character archetypes are based on Phantom of the Opera. I think that's really what we need to talk about or what we need to end on. Yeah. So, yeah. Okay. Content warnings. I am guilty of this personally. If you ever meet me, there is a lot of tragedy in Christine's family history. And in Erica, sorry, in Erica's family history. And it is all relayed very flippantly. Yeah. Um, But I can imagine people taking what, she views as a comic retelling and actually being like, wait, this isn't funny. Like a lot Mm -hmm. of people died really horribly in these stories. Mm -hmm. It's nothing that happens on page. It's relayed, but it's like, it's a history of family trauma. Yeah. So there's a history of family trauma that her, um, her life growing up is relayed again, basically for laughs, but it's also really difficult. She got with a stepfather who like cheated on her mother all the time. Um, she and as the book begins, she's a terrible person, basically. Like the the first 10 pages or less, you realize that she abuses alcohol, <laughs> that she 
uh, just cheats on people all the time. Like she has sex with men who are attached to other women. Um, she's just nasty and mean to people. I don't know if this is really a content warning, but there you go. Yeah, I I think that's this is a you throw it out there, and if someone views it as one, they can view it as one. Yep. Okay. Sexiness. It was really hot in ways I wasn't expecting. Uh yes. <laughs> there is this scene. Like, I don't even know. I, I don't want to like spoil anything, but I'll just say that this was a solo session. And also a performance at the same time. I don't know why you and I are coming to realize we both are like really impressed when authors can pull off. <laughs> yep. The watching each other, but not touching each other. And like the on the edge of desperation, but manage to control yourself. I don't know why that's the sexiest thing in the world, but right now it's the current sexiest thing in the world. It's it's so sexy. It is so sexy. And I, I'm not sure. I, I Again, like you say, I'm not sure why exactly. But it is. It is. Okay. <laughs> also, look, we're also really into dry humping for some reason. There's dry hump scene that is so fucking hot. It basically mentions that this rock star has tidy whiteies. And I wasn't, like, <laughs> repulsed. <laughs> you were like, okay, do it. Hump, hump them. Hump those tidy whities <laughs> That wasn't my actual internal monologue, but, like, the thesis is there. <laughs> yeah. And then it transitioned to a blowjob, and I was fine with it. I get why. I mean, yeah. <laughs> I get why. Because <laughs> it's fucking hot. Yeah, that's the one. Uh, and then they have, so they have this they there's one final full scene and there's there's a mirror which is a phantom reference lane <laughs> so it was like amazing they've got this mirror and you know they have sex in front of the mirror they do there you go what was your thing you want to address okay i guess i have it's I have one thing that I would have liked more of. So it's not something I didn't, I disliked. I would, I would have been happy to have more scenes. There are, there are two things that are referred to. So Christoph has a little bit of like Dom tendencies and Erica's like, I'm cool with that. You can direct me. I'm a performer, <laughs> which I thought was like this amazing way to play like DS, right? Because she's not like, I want you to order me around. Like, I'm submissive. She's like, I'm going to give you the best performance of my life. I take stage direction very well. It's amazing. So I loved that. But um, it was pretty minor. And it did feel like it was going to be, there was going to be more of that. That's my thing. That was my complaint. I like... So much was played into how sexually repressed Christian was in a lot of ways and how he'd fallen into a rut with his 10-year girlfriend, mm -hmm. emotionally and physically, and he was sort of exploring this dominant side of himself. And the one sex scene we got, 
I have ha- seen more dominant shit on the page from couples not described as a dom sub situation. And like so much buildup was presented to like him really unleashing this like commander in the bedroom that the fact that you got like one line of it was really disappointing. Yeah. It's, 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 it's the sex scenes were so good that I yes. was like, I would have liked to see this well executed, but I yes. ultimately felt like she set something up. She didn't deliver on. Yeah. So there was that. The only, that's one thing I would have liked to see more of. I don't think it's a complaint and it's not something I disliked. The it's a full complaint for me. Cause like I expected something that didn't happen. Okay. It's a disappointment. My, I was ready for it. Yes. The one thing I didn't like, and I would actually change if I were the editor of this book, which I'm not, is that I would, I would spell come differently. Sorry, I don't like C-U-M. Come is the noun. C-U-M. C-O-M-E is the verb. No, I like come for C-O-M-E for both. Okay. Well, we differ there. Yeah. That is all. Okay. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> so we loved this. Like, seriously, I will read whatever Jen Comfort puts out next, retelling of something I have read or not, or a totally original work. This was really fun. Mm-hmm. So fun. So funny. You know that we're not the like biggest contemporary romance fans, but this one was perfect. This was contemporary, but it was also costume. <laughs> I mean, I think that's the thing. You, if Whatever we read, I think, has to be we are the more is more crowd when it comes to romance. Well, it's also, I don't want to see parallels to my life. And that correct. Like I want it to be this over the top thing where if something feels like out of place, I can just hand wave it away as well. This isn't real life. Exactly. So we liked it. I think we're really looking forward to whatever Jen comfort does next. Absolutely. We are. Uh, Thank you so much for listening. If you're enjoying the podcast, rate, review, subscribe, and find us around the internet at Plotris.